All right. Sorry, when I'm, I'm a little shorthanded when Pastor Chad's not around here, so got to get everything organized. But we're going to open the Word of God this morning. We've been studying the Book of Hebrews. Uh, if you have your Bibles or your electronic device this morning, we're going to flip over to Hebrews chapter six, and we're going to be working through Hebrews chapter six, verses sixteen through seven ten. At the close of our service this morning, we're going to uh, we're going to celebrate communion together. So uh, as we head that direction, you guys can be preparing your hearts uh, that way. So we're excited to go through Hebrews chapter 6, verses 16 uh, through 7, 10. Why don't we pray this morning? Father, we ask that you would use your word to solidify the truths in our hearts, Lord, that you have given us. We pray that you would enlighten us, that we would know you in a greater capacity, and that, God, our hearts would be open uh, to you, Holy Spirit, this morning, that we would be... Um, we would be open to your revelation and your understanding, God, that your word would speak to our hearts and transform our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, we're going to start with. This morning, I'm just going to give you a quick heads up. We are going through a kind of a really heavy passage of scripture here this morning. So you're going to have to do the best you can to really lock in, you know, because I know some of you are already thinking about lunch and things like that. And so I need you to really just button down hard. And uh, this is some of the concepts that we're walking through are going to be kind of uh, lengthy and deep, but we're going to try and and work through those really quickly. Uh, So Hebrews chapter six, verses 16 and 17, it reads this way. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, the oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that, they, that he would never change his mind. Now, Hebrews six thirteen through 15, leading up to this verse we spoke about last week, it talked about God swearing or taking an oath. To, uh, to Abraham when you, when you talk to Abraham. So we understand this concept in today is when somebody says, hey, can I borrow 10 bucks? I'll pay you back. I swear. I swear I will. Or maybe if they're really serious, they say, man, I'll, I'll swear on a stack of Bibles if that story is true. Or I swear on my mother's grave or something if they're really serious about this. Uh, it, what, what in, in our understanding or in our uh, lingo, basically, people use it as a source to let other people know that they are very serious about what they're talking about, and almost as if they are held to their bond or their word in that moment. The Bible says that God takes an oath and promises, and he binds that oath by himself. So he basically swears by himself uh, in this. So in Genesis 22, you don't have to necessarily flip there, but in Genesis 22, we're going to have it up on the screen, it says this, in Genesis 22, 15 through 18, this is the, the verse that they're talking about in the Old Testament. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and you have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through your descendants all nations of the earth will be blessed. All because you have obeyed me. God spoke that to Abraham. And through this oath, God promised to Abraham the promise that he would be blessed and his 
descendants would be so numerous that they could not be counted. Now, this is a prophetic word of talking about when Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, it opened the door for all of us to be sons and daughters, really to be children of Abraham. And that at that moment, the, the, the seashore, the amount of people, uh, all of those, those descendants were as many as the seashore, as many as the stars of the sky. Uh, God's saying, so that was actually a, a prophetic word that God said, your descendants. And then it goes on to say that Abraham's descendants will bless every nation of the world. Isn't that amazing? That, listen, I'm, I'm uh, by descendant, I'm Irish. My grandfather was Irish. And so um, my, I, I'm, I'm not Jewish. I'm not a child of God, but thankfully, through the blood of Jesus Christ, I've been adopted in. Isn't that an amazing, uh, we see that theme throughout today's service. Uh, I've been adopted in, so praise God for that. Uh, Verse 18, as we continue on in Hebrews chapter 6. So God has given both his oath and his, or his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. The confidence that we have as Christians is found in the, in the, in the inability for God to lie, that it is impossible, that we can trust him to the uttermost. The writer shows that Abraham had God's promise and his oath, and by faith he received what was promised and sworn. Abraham believed, and God Uh, God's promises, and he had confidence in those things, even unto death. And we can also have confidence in our Christian life because we have God's promise of salvation. We hope in things that we do not see. Now, Christians' hope is different than the hope that society talks about. It's vastly different. When we see the word hope in our, in our Bibles, it, it's, it's quite different. Because our culture, when they say, well, I hope something happens, it's like a wish or a gamble. Well, I hope that it comes true. It might, it might not. But God's hope is vastly different. Scripture tells us here that God's hope has a surety, a strength, something strong. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, faith is the confidence that we hope for. Or it says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. A great confidence in the hope of Jesus Christ. Our hope is the hope that Abraham had, a confident hope. In fact, there's a beautiful word picture in verse 19 as we go to the next verse. The next verse talks about a beautiful word picture of an anchor. It says in verse 19 that this hope is strong and trustworthy, an anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. As Christians, we possess the greatest hope in all the world, Jesus Christ. And what is the purpose of an anchor? When we think about the word picture that they use, what's the purpose of an anchor? Can somebody tell me? It holds you in one place, right? Yeah. It brings solidity. When the storms come and a boat needs to stay in one place, it drops the anchor and the storm and the wind and the waves beat against it. But the Bible says that we have a hope despite the wind and the waves that push us, that beat against us, that that try and push us off course of the plan and the purpose that God has for us. We have an anchor that holds fast and we can hope in that anchor. That anchor is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. You know what, this morning, um, unfortunately, when you listen to the Holy Spirit, sometimes you look weird, okay? So I'm going to, I'm going to be weird for a minute, okay? Is that all right? Can we do that? Can you trust me for a minute? 
I believe that there are people here this morning that you at times struggle greatly with hopelessness. That you feel despair on a continual basis. Could I ask you to do something? This is out of the box. Forgive me if you're super uncomfortable with this. I'm uncomfortable with this. If you struggle with despair or hopelessness, would you be willing to trust me for a minute and just stand up? We want to pray for you this morning. Yeah, I know there's people here. There's already people standing up. Yeah. You bet. Lots of people. Okay? The Bible says that the hope that we have is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Is there anyone else here that you struggle at times with hopelessness and you struggle with despair in your life? Thank you. Yeah. Go ahead and stand. This isn't about being embarrassed or anything. Yeah. All right. I think God's doing something right now in people's hearts. Yeah. Wow. A lot of people. A lot of people. Okay, can we, can we be the church for a minute? I know this isn't normal church, okay? We're, bad, we're past that already. Could you, could you look around? If there's somebody nearby you standing, could you go and put a hand on them? And we're going to just, we're going to pause service for just a moment right now. If there's anybody around here, make sure that everyone that's standing has somebody putting a hand on their shoulder, okay? Thank you, Lord. All right, let's pray together, church. Let's not be quiet. Go ahead, begin to pray right now. Just begin to pray. You don't, it doesn't have to be whatever you want to do. Out loud, it can just be right there. Whisper quietly. Just begin to pray in your heart for these people right now. Lift them up in prayer. Jesus. Father, right now we pray in Jesus' name that you would begin to bring hope into people's hearts once again in Jesus' name. God, we know, Lord Jesus, that the enemy would try and use despair and hopelessness to hold people, to drift them off course, to push them off the path that you have for them. But God, right now in Jesus' name, we speak to that hope come alive in their hearts once again in Jesus' name. Hopelessness be gone right now in Jesus' name. And we just speak hope and deliverance and freedom and healing right now in people's hearts in Jesus' name. So God, we're praying, Lord, that this hope would be like an anchor in their souls, firm and secure in this moment. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. If, if that made you uncomfortable, I'm sorry. Okay? But I, I really feel like there are times that we've we got to just be obedient to what God wants. Because I think there are a lot of people today that God touched in a special way in that moment. So, you know what, guys? Here's the thing. This is incredible that as Christians, we can have a hope that is firm and secure where the rest of the world is tossed and swayed by situations and circumstances. The Bible says that we have this hope that is strong. It is a trustworthy anchor for our soul despite the things that we come in contact with on a daily basis that we can be held by the strength and the truth of Jesus Christ. We can help be held by the word of God and it anchors our soul. It anchors our soul. 
But you know what? This is incredible because not only does it anchor our soul, the Bible says it does something incredible. And most of the time, we only like to put this part on the fridge. This hope is a strong, trustworthy anchor for our souls. And we put that on the fridge. That's the fridge magnet. We like that part. But there's something even better than that here. There's something that you miss out on if you got the fridge, fridge magnet version of this verse. It says that that anchor, it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. That's what it does. In fact, in other scriptures, it says, where does it, it leads us? Uh, it leads us somewhere important. Other translations say that it leads us past the veil. The readers here are Hebrew readers. They're very versed in the Old Testament law. They understand what this writer is writing about. He's saying it, that this hope clearly, uh, it was talking about the high priest that would go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. In fact, William Barclay explains it beautifully. Uh, he's, a, he's a theologian, and he said, that hope, he says, is one which enters into the hope into the inner court beyond the veil. In the temple, the most sacred of all places was the Holy of Holies. The veil covered it. It was believed that anyone that entered into the Holy of Holies entered into the very presence of God. And into that place, only one man could go. Only one man in all of the world could go. That was the high priest. And even he might enter the holy place only on one day of the year. On the day of atonement. Even then it was laid down that he must not linger in it. For it was dangerous and a terrible thing to enter into the presence of the living God. What the writer of Hebrews says is that under the old Jewish religion, no one might enter into the presence of God but the high priest, and he could only do it one day of the year. But now Jesus has opened the way for every individual at every time. That's what's happened. That's awesome. In fact, in verse 20, it says, Jesus is our hope, our firm anchor. He secures and he leads us into the presence of God. In verse 20, it goes even further. It says, Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. In other translations, it says, Jesus is our forerunner. This Greek word, forerunner, had a couple different definitions. But the, one of the main definitions was this. A forerunner was a person, that, like a scout in the army, that he would go ahead of all of the troops and he would secure and make sure it was safe for everyone else to go. So it's kind of like this. How many have ever been behind the stage here at the church? How many have ever been back there? Okay, just raise your hand. A couple people. All right. I'm the forerunner. Most of you haven't been there. And I have to make sure that it's safe. If we were all going to get up front, we're not going to, okay? I know we already did the weird thing once. Um, we're, we're not going to get up, but if, if I were to go there and say it's safe, I would be like, okay, uh, guys, I'm going ahead of you. I'm making sure that it's okay. All right, there's like, oh, there's a pot back here. That's pretty cool. Like a, and there's there's like a couch back here for the singers to sit on before they come out, and some old pews and different things. So I'm the forerunner. 
I go before you. You can't see what's going on back there. You can't come, but I go before you and scout it out and make sure it's okay and it's safe. And the Bible says that Jesus has already gone in there. The Greek word is the forerunner. Jesus is the forerunner. He has gone past the veil, the thing that kept everyone out except the high priest one day a year. He could only go in for a short period of time. Jesus said, listen, guys, I'm back here in the Holy of Holies. Come on in. It's looking good. Come join me in the presence of God. That's what he says to us. So it's great. It's a great thing. Now, okay, now we get into, it brings us to the moment that all of you have been waiting for. There's this guy called Melchizedek, and he's in the middle of Hebrews here. And so we're going to try and figure out who this guy is. Um, Who is Melchizedek? In chapter 5 and chapter 6, it spoke that Jesus was a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Let's look at chapter 1, or chapter 7, verse 1. In my Bible, it says Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Before we get into this real quick, this is, this is a kind of confusing portion of Scripture, but we're going to get through it. Um, what, what the writer of Hebrews is trying to explain to all of us, so we get this before we jump in, is that Jesus was a greater picture than the Old Testament system. Remember, the Jewish Christians were thinking about going back to the Old Testament uh, system of the sacrifices and all of those kind of things. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, don't go back. We have a greater system in Jesus Christ. So Jesus is is greater, or Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. So we're going to talk about. Now, in in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, This Melchizedek was the king of the city of Salem and also a priest of God Most High. When Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Now, if we want the background of this story of Melchizedek, it's found in Genesis chapter 14. I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm going to give you kind of what's going on. Now, Lot was living near the city of Sodom and actually in the city of Sodom. And we remember that story, Sodom and Gomorrah, where God pours down fire from heaven. No, this is before that. And what happened was some people came and attacked the city of Sodom and captured all of the people as well as Lot. Now Abram, which was Abraham later, his name was, uh, he gathered together a bunch of servants and kind of armed servants and went, 318 of them, and went and um, basically retrieved back, fought these other armies and retrieved back all of the people from Sodom. Now the king of Sodom uh, comes out or uh, the king begins to reward or try and reward Abram and Abram refuses. Uh, But then there's someone else that shows up in that moment. There's this guy walks up and his name is Melchizedek. And Melchizedek uh, met Abram and blessed him. Now Melchizedek, it says in our scripture here in Hebrews chapter 7, that he is the king of Salem. Many commentators believe that Salem is actually an early name for Jerusalem. So Melchizedek was the king of Jerusalem. And it was interesting because Melchizedek is not from the Jewish nation. He is a Gentile. And he is the king of Jerusalem as well as a priest of who? The Most High God. 
which is El Elohim, which is Jehovah, um, the, the true God. So he's a, a priest of the true God here. And uh, so we see that, that this is a really kind of confusing thing, that this is a Gentile. He's worshiping the Most High God. He shows up on the scene and blesses Abraham. And Abraham actually gives him 10% or a portion or a tithe of everything that was in battle. So we see that this was kind of a, a, a real oddity here. Now, in Genesis chapter 14, after this story, it's like two verses long, Melchizedek disappears for a thousand years in history. No one says anything about him again, and it's not written in the Bible, anything like that, until David, in one of his Psalms, speaking prophetically of Jesus Christ, says this in Psalm uh, 110, speaking of the Messiah, he says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He shows up again. I think, man, this is, this is really incredible because after that moment when David says that, guess what? He goes into hiding for another thousand years, just disappears off the map. And then all of a sudden in Hebrews chapter 5, 6, and 7, he shows up again in, in our Bibles, Melchizedek. So Jesus, we, what's happening here is Jesus is the forerunner who enters the Holy of Holies, but not in the priestly order but in a different kind of order. So what the, what the writer is trying to explain to them is, listen, you guys have been following the Old Testament system and all of these things. And he says, listen, Jesus, don't go back to the old system because Jesus is actually a different kind of order. Now, he fulfilled all of the law and all of those kind of things, but he's actually a priest in a different kind of order, a different kind of, of thing, still serving the uh, El Elohim, uh, Jehovah God, but who entered the Holy of Holies, Jesus, the forerunner, but not in the same priestly order. Now, these Jewish Christians, all of them, there was great pressure to go back to their old religion, and, and the culture was pushing them that way, and the writer's explaining, listen, don't go back go into the new way of Jesus Christ. He's trying to express the newness of Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament and the newness there. 7-2. It says, Then Abraham took a tenth of all he captured in battle, gave it to Melchizedek. We talked about that. The name Melchizedek means king of justice. The king of Salem means king of peace. So we see it's just an illustration of this. Abraham pays a tithe. Uh, saying that the new order actually is sub, uh, the new order is greater than, than the old order of the Old Testament. This was a shadow of the gospel, the fulfillment of the Old, or old Testament in Jesus Christ. So people believe that the next verses here in 7.3 is a possibility. Is it a possibility that Melchizedek was actually Jesus Christ? One of the uh, Christophanies is what they call it. It's when Jesus shows up in the Old Testament in different places. And uh, we'll, we'll actually talk about that uh, possibly next Easter. We'll do some, do some things with that. But where, where God actually shows up, I don't believe that that's necessarily the case here. Um, there are some commentators that believe that, though. And so I'll let you kind of, you can study that a little bit more on yourself. But Melchizedek, it says... Um, in verse 3, there's no record of his father or his mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling, that's an important word here, resembling the Son of God. It, basically, what it's saying is that we, we don't see in Scripture that Melchizedek was born or that he died. But 
He's, he's a type of Jesus that, that lives on forever in the pages of Scripture. Not physically. We believe that Melchizedek had a father and mother. He died and, and all of those kind of things. But it was to show a type. Jesus was born of Mary, but he wasn't really, uh, that wasn't the beginning of him. He was, uh, he was before that as well as when he died, he rose from the grave and now continues on forever. Let's read verses uh, 4, 5, and 6. It says, consider then how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now the law of Moses requires that the priests who are descendants of Levi must collect a tithe from the rest of the people of Israel who are also descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham, and Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham the one who had already received the promises of God. So we see this is a Gentile king, a priest blesses Abraham, and it says that the least is blessed by the better. In Jewish culture, they understood this, that the fathers, before they would die, would lay hands on their sons and basically pass down the family blessing uh, to their sons. This was understood. And so the greater would bless the less. That's kind of how it was. And here we see that Melchizedek blessed Abraham, the father of the whole nation of Israel. He blessed him. And so it's a picture of Jesus Christ uh, being the fulfillment and the Messiah. Verse 7 it says, and without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. And that's what we just talked about, um, Jesus being greater than the Old Testament high priests and the picture of that. Uh, chapter 7, verses 8, 9, and 10. It says, the priests who collect the tithes are men who die. So Melchizedek is greater than they, they are because... We are told he lives on. In addition, we might even say that these Levites and the ones who collect the tithe paid a tithe to Melchizedek when their ancestor Abraham paid a tithe to him. For although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's body when Melchizedek collected the tithe from him. So a lot of things going on here. Basically, this, this entire portion about Melchizedek is really explaining that Jesus Christ supersedes all of the other things that went on, the, the prior to, and we're going to read a portion, when we're doing communion, we're going to read a portion of Hebrews chapter 10 that's going to explain some of these things. But the Jewish people would go through all of the, the, the ritualistic things that they needed to do to accomplish, to see that their sins were covered over. But that Jesus Christ set freedom through the cross. He, he set them free, not only from those old ways, but also from their sin. So this morning it says that, that the tithe was an honor that showed and that you humbled yourself towards another person. That the Levite order was actually through Abraham humbling themselves to be placed underneath uh, the order of Melchizedek, which ultimately Jesus being a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So this is what we're going to do this morning. If I could have the guys begin to prepare and our worship team come forward for communion today. This morning as we, as we begin to look at, at communion this morning, we want to be thankful for the fulfillment that Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross. All of the things that the writer was saying 
listen, don't go back to the old system. Don't go back to the old ways. Don't go back to all of the things that, that, um, that you would want to do in Judaism, but be free in Jesus Christ. You know what? Sometimes, guys, we can get caught up in ritualistic routine, even in things like communion. Today we were passing around the communion plate in, in our worship team. We did communion prior to the service. And the moment that I held the plate out, everyone just got ghostly silent, just got quiet. And that's great. It's respect. And when we do it here in our services, it, it gets really quiet. And that's good. And we respect it. But what I want you to do is I appreciate the respect that we have for communion, and that's important. But I want you to understand, too, don't fall into a ritualistic routine of going through the motions in this. That each time we receive communion, we are celebrating anew and afresh Jesus Christ. Not a ritualistic routine, not going through the motions of religion in some way, but we're celebrating that Jesus set us free from that. That we have a relationship that's living and active and vibrant on a daily basis because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Man, if you could begin to distribute the elements, and we ask that everyone would, would just hold the elements in their hand, hold the bread and the, and the juice. And, and in this moment, I want you to begin thinking. I want you to just begin thanking Jesus for setting us free from ritual, ritualistic routine, those kind of things, religion but that what we are serving Jesus is a relationship, that he has become our friend. So as we hold these things, we're going to have the worship team just begin to worship God. You take your elements and just hold them and just close your eyes. And we're going to read a passage of scripture together in just a moment. But let's just begin to worship God. Let's begin to thank him and praise him today.
So this morning we're going to do something a little different with communion today. Normally we would read a passage from the Gospels or 1 Corinthians. And, uh, but this morning I want to read to you in light of what we've read a portion from Hebrews chapter 10. And it reads this way. It says, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under the system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing to those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have been stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it was not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Later on in chapter 10, it says, Under the old covenant... The priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. He sat down, then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus Christ. God has given us access. Let's thank the Lord for the body that he placed in our place on the cross. Would you hold the bread? right now and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the stripes that you took upon your back in my place. God, your word says that it was by those stripes that we are healed. And God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the healing that you've given us in the area of sin. We were in desperate need because we knew that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin, but you gave your perfect life in our place. Thank you. Let's partake together. If you would just hold the cup in representation of the blood of Jesus Christ today. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for allowing yourself and actually living out the purpose of sacrificing yourself in our place once for all time. And it is because of your blood that was shed that our sins could be forgiven, that we could live without guilt and we can live in freedom because of you. Thank you, Jesus. Let's partake together. Just in closing this morning, would you stand to your feet and let's just worship together for just a minute and let's just sing together just that chorus starting out, we have overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus.
sing Savior again. can just celebrate today. God, you overcame. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, we want to thank you today that you went before us, Lord. That, God, it was by your grace and mercy that you called out to us from behind the veil. Come on in, guys. Come on in. Come on in. God, we thank you that we can sense your presence in our physical body, that we can know that you're near deep inside of our heart, that we can sense that anchor when the, when the waves are pushing against us, that we can sense that anger tugging, tugging each time saying, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, I've got this, I've got this. God, help us to trust in you. Help us to hope in you in a greater capacity, God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have overcome that, God, we don't have to live under the guilt of continual sin, but, God, that you have set us free, that, God, we could walk in the freedom and the liberty and the understanding that you are with us, that you love us, and that, God, you are directing our lives in every capacity. We love you and we magnify you and we praise you, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Great to be in the house of the Lord with friends in the presence of God. Remember, Jesus overcame. Praise God. Lord bless you guys.